All right, if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to open it and find your place in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 1. This is going to be a lot of fun today. Not for y'all. Um, but I'm going to have a good time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, if you just kind of glance over it really, really quickly, it's a very, very long chapter. Um, it's 40 verses. It's a long chapter of Scripture. And it's all kind of so interconnected and so interwoven together that it needs to, to sort of be dealt with at one time, if time is going to permit us today. But in this passage of Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul deals with some of the most difficult, uncomfortable, maybe even controversial subjects that you could ever hope to find in the Bible. So aren't you glad you're here today? And you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 some of the most hard, the, the, the most difficult to understand, the hardest to interpret, the most kind of universally disagreed upon uh, verses in all of the Bible. This is really, really hard stuff in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Because the Apostle Paul is writing to people that are, are real people, it's easy to forget that the audience of Scripture, these were real people that had real lives, real problems, real questions, and real difficulties. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is dealing with, with actual people people who are married but who maybe for them you know the romance has kind of died and the spark has gone out and things aren't as fun and interesting as they needed to be and the apostle paul deals with people who are married and who really don't want to be married anymore and who looking for a way to escape is there some way maybe we could separate or get divorced that jesus would be okay with and then he deals to some degree with people who had been married, but who are divorced, or who had been married, but who are now widowed. The Apostle Paul writes to people who are engaged, but who aren't married yet. The Apostle Paul deals with single people, and then on top of all these relationship issues, the Apostle Paul is, is going to deal with people in, in different ethnic groups. He's going to talk to Jewish believers who maybe resent their background or gentile believers who wish that they belong to a different background and he's going to deal with people from different socioeconomic groups he's going to deal with people who are slaves who really really wish they could be made free and what the apostle paul is doing is is writing to all of these people and all of these issues that they are dealing with in life just to drive home one essential point that all of us need to hear and that point is that wherever god has us in life we need to be all there. Wherever God has us, married, single, divorced, widowed, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, etc. Wherever God has us, He really has us. And He really has a plan for why we are where we are. And He expects us in faithfulness and obedience to Him to be faithful, to be fully invested, to be fully involved, and to be content wherever He has put us. 
And so that's going to be kind of the, the unifying theme that runs through this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Because Paul knows about these people what I know about me and what I know about you. And that is that we are restless creatures that are always looking for something better, aren't we? You know what I'm saying? Like you were looking for a job when you found the one you got. And maybe you're still looking for one. Thinking, I know that the next one is going to be perfect. A little bit more money, a little bit better hours, and it's going to finally make me happy. You drive maybe into your neighborhood and you see the bigger house with the better yard and the pool and you think, man, if I could just live somewhere like that, then I would be totally satisfied. Life would finally be good. If Prince Charming would just ride into your life on his white horse, and if he had a big enough hunk of diamond in his pocket when he did, then... Then I would finally have everything. And we have that inside of us where we just peer over the fence and we look at the neighbor's yard and think, man, the grass is just a little bit greener over there. We really, really wish we could change. And some of you are doing that right now. You're single. You just wish you could step into marriage. You've got toddlers and you wish they would just grow up. You've got teenagers and you just wish they would grow up. You've got a husband and you just wish he would grow up. And you're just in this constant state of never really being committed where God has you. Never being invested where God has you. And that's why the Apostle Paul is going to say to married people and single people and divorced people and slave people and free people and Jewish people and Gentile people and engaged but not married yet people and recently divorced people. All of these people Paul is going to deal with in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 to say to them, no matter where you are, be all there. Now, today I want to do things a little bit differently than I normally would do them. I usually like to just read the whole chunk of Scripture and then walk back through all of it. But I think that today it may be a little bit easier because this is so much just to kind of read it as we go. If you'll permit me to do that, then that's just you know, what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, then come back next week. It'll be different. But one of the first things you do need to keep an eye out for in this passage is that 1 Corinthians 7 kind of begins a major shift in the Apostle Paul's approach in this letter. Now up to this point, the Apostle Paul has been refereeing the church of Corinth and all their problems. And he's been coming to them and saying, all right, that's out of bounds. All right, that's an illegal formation there. And you can't do this, and you can't say that, and you can't act that way. And he's written to the church to deal with the problems of division and spiritual immaturity and sexual immorality and all of these problems that they've had in Corinth. But now the Apostle Paul is going to kind of take off his referee jersey and he's going to put on his coach's hat. And he's going to start telling the Corinthians, here's how you, as a married person, here's how you run the play that God has given you. Here's how you, as a single person, here's how you fulfill the assignment God expects for you in this season of your life. And the Apostle Paul is coming to these people and he's writing to them, teaching them how to be all in wherever they are. And you'll see this in verse 17. You'll see it in verse 20, particularly in verse number 24. Go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 7, 24. And I think if you wanted to, to highlight a verse or circle a verse or, or, or memorize a verse, even though I know that might be pushing it, but verse 24 is, is the verse you need to keep in the back of your mind as the uniting idea in everything here. So, brothers... In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Wherever you are, be all there. And the Apostle Paul is going to give us five guidelines in this passage of Scripture that will help us to be all in 
wherever we are. And the first one is this. You have greater privileges than you realize. You have greater privileges than you realize. Let's read together verse number 1. Paul writes and says this, Now concerning the matters with which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Don't worry, I'm going to come back to it. Don't panic. But because, each, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, everybody take a deep breath. The last time I preached this passage of Scripture, it took me like an hour and a half and just about killed me. That's why I'm going to be on vacation next Sunday because I knew I was going to preach this and then I'm getting right out of town. Because the first issue that the Apostle Paul deals with, it is a doozy. And the Apostle Paul is going to write to the church of Corinth to tell them that married couples, husbands and wives, and husbands and wives only, should have regular, frequent, mutually satisfying physical intimacy. Now I bet when you got up this morning and got ready for church, you did not have on your bingo card of what the sermon was going to be about, did you? And y'all, this is the problem of having a preacher that believes the Bible is the Word of God and thinks that you should preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. If it's in here, you've got to say something about it, right? And here the Apostle Paul comes along and he says to married couples, you should have a mutually satisfying sex life. Now the Apostle Paul says this, but he begins verse number 1 by saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Or I think the King James says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And every man in here started having these red flags go up. Now, wait a minute, Paul. That cannot mean what it looks like it means. Well, good news. It doesn't quite mean what it looks like it means. Because if you'll notice carefully, there are quotation marks around this phrase. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians about what they have written to him about. So this statement does not come from Paul. It came from the Corinthians to Paul who had heard. You know, maybe it's not good to have any kind of sexual activity at all. Maybe, it's, it's, maybe it really is good to never touch a woman at all. So think back about what you know about the Corinthians to this point. Think about the sexual immorality we talked about in chapter 5. The man having the affair with his stepmom. Think about what we talked about last Sunday morning where the people in Corinth were engaged in prostitution it's likely that there was a group of people in the church of Corinth that overreacted against the obscene and extreme sexual immorality in their town and they went so far the other direction they said that sexual activity of any kind is always wrong it's always off limits God is never pleased with it and people that love God should never even if they're married they should never engage in any kind of sexual activity y'all there have been a lot of Christians that have believed that kind of stuff over the years and the apostle Paul is going to come to them and he's going to present them with a sexual ethic a way of thinking about human sexuality that was 2,000 years ahead of its time and also totally out of this world and these are things that we need to hear, first of all, because they are in the Word of God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 is in the Bible just as much as John 3.16 is. This is the Word of God. And we need to hear this because this can be a real conflict in a lot of marriages. And we need to hear this because, well, face it, most of us, as I said last week, have been discipled to think about human sexuality by the culture around us. We've been led astray. And what can happen is either we buy into what the culture teaches, completely hook, line, and sinker, or we overreact against it and we simply fail to obey God by going further than he intended in one of two directions. And so Paul comes and he presents to us a sexual ethic that is totally, radically different. And his primary ideal here is that in marriage, God has so united husband and wife together as one flesh that not only should they expect regular physical intimacy, but they have been united together in such a way that the spiritual good of the husband is in the hands of the wife. And the spiritual good of the wife is in the hands of the husband. And that spiritual good for Paul cannot be separated from their physical intimacy. So if you are married today, or if you plan on getting married, or if you'd like to be married again one day, maybe you should think about what Paul's getting at here in this passage. Because the Apostle Paul wants you to wake up, and he wants you to realize that this world hates your spouse. The devil hates your spouse. And this world and the devil knows that your spouse will be a better victim and maybe even a more loyal customer to what the world is selling and what the devil is promoting, the greater the separation that exists between you, your husband, and your wife. Do you realize that God has given your spouse a gift to keep them pure and to keep them holy and to keep them close to Jesus? And that gift that God has given is you. But we don't think about marriage at all in these terms, do we? This is, this is radically different than what most of us have thought. But it is what Scripture teaches. And I want to I prove it to you by looking at a different place. Look in 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. And verse 7. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter rather, in verses 1 through 6 of 1 Peter chapter number 3, he has just addressed women who are married to unbelieving husbands. And if that's your case today, I would encourage you to, to go read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. A very helpful, very essential passage of Scripture because that is a path that so many of the Lord's daughters do walk. But now he circles back to husbands. And he says this to husbands. Here's what Peter says. And we know Peter was married because Scripture says Peter has a mother-in-law. And we know that Peter had a big mouth. And so he probably had to learn a lot of this the hard way. Verse 7. We, we live these lives where we are so self-sufficient we think we can do it all. The first phrase of this verse is going to tell you guys you need God's help for your life. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You're not going to do that on your own. Some of y'all act like y'all never been married before. All right. Live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to the weaker vessel. I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to move right on. I want you to see the end of the verse. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I love Peter says, guys, listen, your wife's going to heaven too. All right. So 
lived with her as an heir of the grace of life. Then notice this. If you've lived with her in understanding, you've honored her as a weaker vessel. If you've recognized that, you know, hey, yeah, she really is belong to the Lord. Then, then your prayers will not be hindered. So, if you fail to do all of that, don't even bother praying. You see what Peter's getting at? He's saying that the connection between husband and wife is so close. And it involves so much of our spiritual walk. It involves so much of our connection to Jesus. That our connection to our spouse is so connected to our connection to Jesus. That if things aren't right between husband and wife, things aren't going to be right between the Lord and us. And so the Apostle Paul is emphasizing this same point, specifically as it relates to physical intimacy. And he says in verse 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 7, that the one flesh union between husband and wife is so real, it's so real that we lose our right to be self-determining and self-autonomous in marriage, that our spouse has rights over us, for husbands and for wives. Now, the husbands in Corinthians, in Corinth, were reading this and thinking, yeah, well, we knew that, Paul. But the wives, the women, nobody in the ancient world thought that women had any sort of rights over their husband. But now here Paul says, ladies, you have rights over your husband. His body is not just his body. That's your body, too. And Paul says, verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body. But her husband and the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Which means practically today, friends, if in your marriage relationship you find yourself at sort of this maybe sexual stalemate and, and physical intimacy is, is infrequent or if sex has become a bargaining chip or if sex has become, you know, just a reward for good behavior, you need to think about, you need to think about the spiritual consequences of that in the life of your spouse. You need to realize that your marriage is not just about you. It's not just about you getting your way. It's not just about you being in charge. But it's about you laying down your rights to serve the person that you love. Exactly the way Jesus has done for us in the gospel. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Isn't it amazing that even as Christians who are married, isn't it amazing that we can just treat the people we love the most the absolute worst? person I love more than anything in the world is going to be the one person that I am going to give the most hell to for the rest of her life. And that's the way we are, isn't it? But the Apostle Paul says it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be giving hell to our spouse. We shouldn't be giving the devil to our spouse. We are called to give Jesus to our spouse. We are called to give heaven to our spouse. That this person gets to experience the way that they are loved by Jesus through the way that they are loved by me. We're having fun today, aren't we? So, have you thought in your marriage about how you serve one another, how you invest in one another, how you safeguard one another? These are privileges that God has given you in marriage. The privilege of being invested in the spiritual well-being of your spouse through physical intimacy and a million other ways, through your attitude, through your commitment to them. So Paul says in verse 5, Do not deprive one another, don't cheat one another, except perhaps for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of the lack of your lack of self-control. A marriage is never made up of just two people. It's always made up of three people. It's either you, your spouse, and Jesus, or you, your spouse, and the devil. Paul says, make sure that in your marriage, 
Make sure that in your marriage you are together on the same page. That you are communicating in a healthy way so that the other person who's making your marriage work is not the devil. Because the devil wants to destroy your home. The devil wants to destroy your marriage. And we all know, do we not know, we all know as adults that the, that the devil will use sexuality to destroy a marriage. But friends, there's more than one way for him to do it. There's more than one way for him to make a wedge between a husband and wife and for resentment and bitterness and frustration and unforgiveness and disappointment to grow. And the Apostle Paul says, that's not what you got married for. That's not what God has designed for marriage. Think of the privilege of marriage that God has given you and live in those privileges. And so I would say to all of us today, married, unmarried, young, old, whatever, that no matter where God has us during this season of life, we have incredible privileges that are bigger than we might see. A marriage is about more than just one person to fight with for 40 years. Paul says there are deep spiritual privileges you've never considered in your marriage, but that's true for us as we go to work, isn't it? Have you ever thought about the privilege that God has given you to go and be a light for Jesus, to share the gospel for Him among those co-workers who absolutely drive you nuts? Have you ever thought about the privilege that belongs to a stay-at-home mom to be the primary influence and voice in the lives of those children? She may get tired of changing those diapers. She may get frustrated with the constant demands she may get aggravated with sticky fingers clawing at her 24 hours a day. But think about the privilege that God has given her. Even as we serve God in the context of our church. We fall into these routines, don't we? Just coming to choir, practicing in the choir, teaching our Sunday school class. And we don't see the incredible privilege that God has given us to be the face of worship as we sing in the choir. And somebody sees our face shining for Jesus or our hand lifted in the air. Or they see our faithfulness year after year and decade after decade as we plow through the word of God to teach his word to his people. We don't see the privileges that God has given us. Some of you may be in this marriage that is stale and frustrating and you're exhausted and you're, you're struggling to forgive and to carry on. You don't realize in some way God has given you great privileges. You may not see in your career situation right now how God has given you privileges, but He has to make an eternal impact. Your family, your kids, you have privileges that are greater than you realize. Let's move on to something more fun, what do you think? Marriage is hard, so what could be easier than being single? That's what Paul's going to talk about next. And he's going to tell us that if we're going to really be all in, wherever we are, we need to recognize that we have wonderful gifts that we miss. We have wonderful gifts that we miss. He says in verse number 6, Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. And before we look at what this is, 1 Corinthians 7 is full of this kind of language. Paul will say, now I'm going to say this, but it's me saying it, not the Lord saying it. So it's almost like Paul has been writing, he says to him, you know, I'm just kind of making this up as I go, so it's really not that important. But what he's actually getting at is, that he doesn't have a record of where Jesus specifically said this during his ministry. Jesus, as far as we know, never said a whole lot about singleness in his ministry. But now Paul is. He's going to comment on something that Jesus never commented on. But the Spirit of Jesus is still riding through him, inspiring him. So he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, that is single. But each has his own gift from God. 
one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul has shown how human sexuality and marriage are a blessing and a gift from God. But now he wants to show how singleness can also be a unique blessing from God. He wants to show how this can be a gift that may be unexpected, that for a season may be unwanted, but how singleness is, for those that have been gifted this way, an atypical blessing. Now it is God's will for most people to get married eventually. Paul says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Most of us just can't handle the heat, so we got to jump in, right? And so that's the way God has designed the world to work. That's the way that God has designed the past and the future. People are going to get married. But not everybody. There are people who, just for one reason or another, because God has wired them up that way or gifted them that way, even if it's only for a season. Paul says for those people in that season, they need to recognize that they have been given a precious gift. Now, he begins to explain that a little bit more beginning in verse number 25 through the end of the chapter. Paul's going to jump around a fair bit, fair bit here. And he's going to say that to those who aren't married or to those even who are widowed who aren't married anymore, that you should recognize God's unique providence in writing the story of your life the way that he has. So he begins writing to the unmarried and the betrothed in verse 25. Down to verse number 32, he says to them, I want you to be free from anxieties. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Well, how can I be free from anxieties? Paul says the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Guys, what should you be worried about today? How to make your wife happy. I didn't get a single amen from a single woman today. Ladies, I just can't do it all myself. I know, you got to live with him. I get it, right? Verse 34, And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Guys, you knew it was coming. Like, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So there at the end, Paul says, listen, my goal in all this is not to lay a bunch of rules on you that aren't a fit for you. But he says, I just want you to be devoted to the Lord, single or married. And I want you to understand, Paul says, and this is so helpful to young people who aren't married yet, who as they get older start to think, I've got to get married. And if, if I don't get married, then... You know, my life is just going to fall apart, and my life is going to be empty. I'm not going to have any importance. Or people who have been widowed that maybe want to, want to be married so bad, they just think, I've got to find somebody to be with. Paul's going to come to them, and he's going to say to them, you know, the truth is that being single gives you unique opportunities that other people don't have. And this really is true. We don't think about it because we think so much of the perfect Christian family. Husband, wife, and 2.5 kids, all well-dressed with Bibles under their arms. And when Christians are single, you know, they think, I don't get invited to the play dates. I don't get to go to the marriage conference. Nobody writes books about uh, how to be a successful single Christian. And so for those that are single, maybe they start to feel as if they are only half a Christian because they're not part of a couple. But Paul has already shown us in this passage that for reasons we don't know, he was single. Apostle Paul was not married at this point. 
And greater than that, let me just remind you today that the one human being to live the one perfect life, the one full life, was the Lord Jesus, who was never married. And so singleness is not a curse. You may feel that way. But I will assure you, it's better to be single wishing you were married than to be married wishing you were single. And at this point, we'll have to deal with that later. But Paul does write about that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And his point is this, that when you are single, you simply don't have the anxieties, the concerns, the worries, or the fears that those that are married and have families would have. Because when you're married, you've got to think about things like, okay, I want to serve Jesus, but I also have to feed my kids. And, lest we get confused here, when we're walking with the Lord, those things aren't really going to be in the kind of conflict we might want to invent. How do I, as a husband or a father, how do I serve the Lord? My first vocation is not as the pastor of this church. My first vocation is to my wife and my children. And so that my first goal as a believer is to love my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Well, it certainly is the girl that goes to bed with me every night. And the kids who wake me up every morning. Paul would say, Jesus would say, you love them. You are to be concerned about them. You serve God by serving them. And so I should righteously be concerned about their well-being and about their welfare. But for those that aren't single, they don't have those kind of concerns. You think about the great Southern Baptist missionary Lottie Moon was never married. And so it was easier for her to run around China for all of those years sharing the gospel because she wasn't concerned about raising children. She wasn't concerned about keeping up a home and she wasn't concerned about these things that take up such a big part of their life, part of our lives. And Paul is saying to those that are single, you have a unique window in your life. You have a unique window in your life to serve Jesus with greater intensity, greater fervor, with maybe less distraction than those of us that are married. But Paul would tell all of us, I think, that we should not live the way so many single people do. Do you remember what it was like to be single? Maybe not even to have a date, man. Friday nights were just lonely. But you were going to everybody else's wedding. You remember that? Maybe this hits ladies a little bit harder than, than guys. But you were always the bridesmaid and never the bride, right? That's a cliche for a reason. Always wondering, when's it going to be my turn? When am I going to get to get married? When am I going to finally find the one? And we, we're jealous of other people, not in a cruel way, I hope. Um, I hope you never, like, you know, tried to, to hurt somebody else's fiancé and, and swoop in or anything, but we get jealous. We long for other people's lives, right? Think, man, I, I just wish I could have the happiness that they have. And so many of us, married, single, grown, empty nesters, divorcees, widows, whatever, so many of us do live that way, don't we? We're always looking at somebody else's life thinking, why can't I have that? We're always looking at, at somebody else's blessings, and we spend more time counting their blessings than we do ours. And we feel like we've been deprived. We spend so much of our lives wondering, why don't we have this? That we don't see all the great things we do have. We don't see the unique gifts that God has given us. And so what would Paul say to us? He would say to you, wherever you are right now, be all there. Fiance, married, engaged, widowed, divorced, single, rich, 
4. He'll talk about some of these things later in chapter 7 as we come back to it later on. Paul says in all of these things, be all there. It's possible that one day your circumstances will change. For most single people, they do change later on. But Paul says wherever you are now, until God changes it, trust Him and be content. Will you take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians 4? I want to show you this verse of Scripture, and then we'll, we'll finish up together today. And we'll come back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. I can tell today you've just been sitting on the edge of your seat, and you just can't wait to hear what Paul has to say to people who have been divorced. But he says in Philippians chapter 4, Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now verse 11, notice this, not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation that I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we all know Philippians 4.13, right? We've all memorized that. We've all got it tattooed on our bicep. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you know what Paul's not talking about there? He's not talking about Running a faster marathon. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, maybe Jesus will help you run faster. He ain't helping me do it, but maybe he'll help you run faster. He's not talking about bench pressing 300 pounds. I can do all things. That's not what he means. What, 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 what are the all things? The all things he's talking about here are these things of, of having nothing, of being hunger, being hungry and being content in the middle of it of being satisfied with the way God has ordered our lives. Or even knowing how to abound. There's so many people that have the things we're jealous of, and yet they're empty on the inside. And Paul said, I've had good things, and I know how to trust Jesus in a lot or in a little, because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And Paul is calling the Corinthians, just as he is the Philippians, he's calling them to faithfulness wherever you are. Be content there. Be content there, knowing that none of this is an accident. Don't live your life being jealous of other people and what they have. If I just had their husband, if I just had that career, if I just had that degree, if I just had that salary, if I just had that family, if I just had that opportunity, be content. Be content. Because God has you exactly where He wants you now. So that you can be everything God wants you to be today. And you have everything that you need today to do what God wants you to do today. Be content. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Trust Him and be faithful wherever you are. Now we're going to stand together today. And here's how I'm going to ask the invitation today. I'm just going to say how many of y'all are tired of looking at other people's lives and saying, I wish I had that. How many of you are tired of window shopping from the things God has given to others? Saying, I wish I had that ring on my finger. I wish I had that money in my bank. I wish I had that car in my driveway. I wish I had whatever. 
How many of you need help being content? How many of you need help living your life today where God has you? Saying, Lord, I want to be faithful during this season, this part of my life. Lord, it may not be the way that I would want it to be. But God, I know that where you have me, you really have me. You've got me in this. So Lord, help me to be content. Can we have every head bowed and every eye closed today? How many of you today would just raise your hand and say, Brother Jesse, right now I'm so restless wanting things to change. I see hands going up today. I'm just so miserable. I'm frustrated. Maybe I don't even like the person that I've become. And I need to learn to be content. Would you put your hand up? I need to learn to be content. Church family, I need to learn to be content. I need to learn to trust our Heavenly Father. That He really has written it all just right. I want to pray for you this morning before we have our invitation. Father, we are about to sing a song about surrendering everything to Jesus. God, that's great in the hypothetical, but Lord, it's different when it's real. Lord, when we have to surrender our jobs, our careers, our opportunities, Lord, our marriages, our, our singleness, and say, Lord, we surrender our plans to you, we surrender our future to you, and God, we surrender our hearts, our attitudes, and our responses to you. God, that's so hard for us to do. God, help us to trust your heart for us enough to know that we are in good hands when we are in your hands. Do your work, Lord, I pray, in the lives of those that are struggling today. In the lives of the discontented and the frustrated and the restless. God, help us to be content. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together.